She's married to a law enforcement officer. Before that, he was a career Navy EOD specialist in combat. The stress of those careers almost ended their marriage. She's here to talk about that and much more. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Breakout app is an audio networking platform and social networking app all in one. Breakout lets users listen in on live conversations or be a part of the conversation. Get it free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play. Be sure to follow John J. Wiley, the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show and Podcast. Use the profile at LET Radio Show, or you can download the app for free at letbreak.com. Connecting with us from the Treasure Coast of Florida, we have Tina Rudiger on the phone. Now, Tina's husband, Chris, was on the show just a few weeks ago. She is the spouse of a career Navy veteran, Christopher Rudiger. He's also a police officer, and she's a podcaster. Her name of the podcast is Sheepdog Marriage Podcast. Tina, thanks so much for being guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me on. Now, yours is a point of view we don't get to hear very often. I grew up in a career Navy family. My dad was career Navy. My mom was, I called the admiral of the family. When dad mm-hmm. was gone, she ran the roost. When dad was home, she ran the roost. That's the way it was. Uh, and then I went to police work uh, in my early 20s. So there's a lot of commonality and a lot of differences, but we never get to hear from people like you. Yeah, and it's so important because, um, you know, I feel like as a spouse, um, we are in the background sometimes, and it's just kind of the way it is. And to be able to speak out now in this uh, season of our life and be able to kind of speak into the lives of other spouses or other military or law enforcement marriages is really important to me. I'm glad, so glad that you are doing that, and I want to thank you for your service. I know we thank the veterans, we thank first responders we thank police but we forget about their spouses and to be totally honest with you you can't do this line of work without the support of your family behind you oh absolutely um we we you definitely need the support of your family to be able to um getting into um being a military spouse and when i we first got married i had no idea what i was getting into i didn't know anyone that was in the military. I I've had heard of it, but I didn't know what it was like being in that lifestyle. I was willing to kind of jump in with both feet, but wow, did I have uh, a big road ahead of me. How long have you two been married? Uh, we've been married for 31 years. So you're not rookies at this. And I'm, I'm saying this with all due respect. You're not newlyweds. It's not like uh, this is brand new to you. You've got, uh, both of you have a lot of time and effort and struggles involved in this relationship. Uh, 
that's uh, yeah, to say the least. Definitely a lot of time uh, and and a lot of effort um, in uh, as a military spouse and now as a law enforcement spouse. Um, I kind of thought that when he transitioned from the military to law enforcement, I was thinking, man, this is going to be a walk in the park. He's going to be home every night. But um, that was a big misconception on my part. (laughs) We'll go into that in a moment. (laughs) I want to touch base a little bit of your history. You and Chris, you got, did you get married at the early part of his military career or before going in the military? It was in the early part. He had, he was in submarines for the first three years. And then uh, when he transitioned and went to EOD school, we met in Panama City when he was going through training. Um, so I've been with him the his entire, uh, almost his entire career. So you've kind of seen a big transition in your Navy experience. And I'm going to go back. Granted, I'm a lot older than you. When my dad got <laughs> deployed, you know, six-month med cruise, whatever it might be, this is before we had FaceTime and all these other ways. Right. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have phone calls. We oftentimes didn't find out he was coming home until two or three days before. And every now and then, mm-hmm. he'd get a couple moments on a satellite phone. He'd talk to mom. And we were totally unaware. Right. Right. And, and believe it or not, you know, we got married in 1991, and it, that doesn't really seem that long ago. But when, when we communicated, it was very much the same way. He would he would be, have to get a satellite line to call me, or he would stand in line uh, when they would go into port and call me. But we went sometimes three, four months without speaking a word, and we would be sending letters back and forth, and sometimes, and we would number our letters, so um, sometimes I would get, like, letter 27, um, and I still haven't gotten, like, letter 2, you know, it it was, it was either hit or miss, you know, with the letter, so the communication, even back then, um, was was still very, very uh, far between. Do you often find yourself biting your tongue when people say, my biggest problem is communicating with my spouse? And you go back and say, well, I remember we couldn't talk for months at a time. Yes, yes. And and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but that's one of the things with um, with being a military, uh, military spouse versus a law enforcement spouse is that when he went into law enforcement, I was like, well, at least he'll be home. At least I'll be able to talk to him. At least he'll sleep in the bed at night, you know, but... I didn't think of the the psychological part of of the things that he sees every day and coming home and trying to transition between being uh, a caretaker or a sheepdog all day and then coming home at night and uh, being a you know in a relationship where we both are kind of equal and that was that was really difficult. We will talk about that at length. And here's <laughs> what I did, and I thought I was really good at this, Tina. Uh, Back to the days we had the, the, the first generation of soft body armor. That's when I was policing. And I would think I would do a psychological undressing. When I take the Velcro mm-hmm. off from the soft body armor, I'm going from cop J to husband J to father J. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and for a long time, I did well with that until I didn't anymore. And then I became the guy who didn't talk, who, for a lot of different reasons, which we'll discuss. Uh, would sit there and isolate, sit in the chair, and didn't talk at all. And it created even more problems. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, oh, I, definitely. it killed our marriage. That, that, that was a big part of it. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's actually what began to kill our marriage. I mean, we were, I had moved out. Um, and when he had transitioned into being law enforcement and my expectations of having a husband present and home when he was home was totally demolished. And the, the resentment from over the years from him, you know, being in the military, the country came first because the country had to come first. And then we became a police officer. The community came came first because it had to come first. And again, I was on the back burner, and I literally was I was just uh, a time bomb waiting to go off. And I was so angry and bitter at always being on the back burner that uh, I was. Uh, we were just ready to give up and go our separate ways. That's one of the things. And right now we're not far removed from Hurricane Ian. And we've got first responders, we've got law enforcement, we've got EMTs, paramedics, linemen from all over the United States that responded to Southwest Florida. And one of the things I tell people all the time was, you know, when we have natural disasters, we have snowstorms or blizzards or whatever might be, you'd have to tell your family you're on your own no matter how bad the situation, and you had to go to help other people. And that created Mm -hmm. a stress internally for us, and it also created stress internally for our spouses. And throw in top of that, years of military service where, hey, there's a conflict over here, we got special orders, we're (laughs) sent, and you're gone. And you don't get to hear from We're talking with Tina Rudiger, she's a spouse of a career Navy veteran, and also a police officer, and also a podcast, her name of her podcast is Sheepdog Marriage Podcast. Don't go anywhere. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. So much more heading your way. We'll be right back. There was social media, and then there was social audio. Now the Breakout app combines the best of both. Best of all, the Breakout app is free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play, or you can download for free at www.letbreak.com. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Return conversation with Tina Rudiger on the Law Enforcement Today show. Tina is a spouse of a police officer. He's also a career Navy veteran. He was a Navy vet for 20 some odd years before becoming a police officer. And she's a podcaster. Her name of her show is Sheepdog Marriage Podcast. Before we went to break, Tina, and I'm so glad you're telling your, your story because quite often we don't talk to the spouses and we don't get to hear the frustrations and the difficulties of those at home. And yeah. we could say for a lot of reasons why it, it doesn't matter, but we need to make their voice, their voices, their stories more prominent. So I'm really grateful that you are telling yours. You said you met Christopher when he was training for EOD and it was the Panama city. Yes. Panama city. And so that was and, uh, we- quite a while ago, right? Yes, it was 1991, and um, actually it was 1990. That's what's so crazy about our story is we actually met in November of 1990, and we were at the altar in 
April of 91. So we only knew each other for maybe three or four months, and we were at the altar. So for all those who say they don't know each other long enough, it's going to end in disaster, you're living proof that's <laughs> not the case. We are definitely, you know, we, we it did work for us for a long time, and um, but honestly, we were just surviving. We were never thriving. We were just kind of getting by. Yeah. But we, we didn't even know each other's middle name when we got married, so <laughs> that was crazy. So I'm not going to ask you why. What possessed you to do that? Did you, I'm sure your family said, oh, that's wonderful. He's a great guy. But what are you thinking? Yeah, well, he was he was in EOD school, and it, it's in phases. So once you graduate, you go on to the next phase. So he was moving from Florida to Maryland, and he was like, you know, either we get married or you come live with me. And my dad, I'm the only girl. My dad was like, um, not only no, but no. You know, the only <laughs> Look, way you're leaving this state <laughs> I'm a father of two daughters, and I'm telling you right now, I would be, I'm still old-fashioned. I'd be the same kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, we had, he had to come to my house, and he told him, he said, Chris, I, I have three children. He said, God gave me uh, two boys, but he only gave me one girl, and that girl right there, that's my heart. And if you want my heart, you're going to marry it. You're not going to live with it. There you go. You and I are on the same page. Uh, and I, <laughs> Here's the thing, Tina. I don't force my point of view on other people. I don't have beefs with people. I don't disrespect people, but I bow before no one. And secondly, right. you, I am who I am. Uh, at this stage of my life, it's, it's like, look, I'd love to, to go to all the time and energy to make you like me, but I'm over that. <laughs> that was gone exactly. in my teens and 20s. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, um, I definitely, um, it was embarrassing to hear my dad say that, but, um, it was good that, you know, I, I love that I have a father that loves me and that was willing to stand up for me. But Chris stood up to the plate and he was like, yes, sir, that's exactly why I'm here to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. And, and I had no idea. So things happen really fast. And my dad said, well, I know what's going to happen is you're going to move away with my daughter and take her overseas. And of course he was like, no, I'm not. We'll try and stay in the, in, you know, in, um, stateside, you know, and of course that did not happen. Of course not. My, when I was a baby boy, my f- I don't remember. I was too young. But my parents, my dad was stationed in Rota, Spain. And I was there from Mm -hmm. like one year of age to five. And I I wish I was older and could experience and remember some of that stuff. But that's part of the Navy life. I know other branches of the military, they they get transferred, they serve overseas. But for Navy, you really got to do a lot of, you're going to be changing every three to four years. And you're going to have an overseas deployment. If you are in certain branches of the Navy, you're going to do med cruises, ship duty, all that stuff. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there was so so much moving every three years. And on top of that, I was doing it by myself the whole time. So um, it was uh, uh, made I was only 19 or 20 when I married him. So we it made us made me grow up really quick because we started having kids right away. He was deploying right away. Uh, he was in war right away. He went to Somalia. He was in Bosnia. He was in Iraq. Um, all of those things we were, I was experienced and changed for the first time. And I was a mother for the first time, but I was also a single mom, um, the whole time and didn't realize how angry I was that, um, and I felt guilty sometimes for being angry that he was gone. I'm like, he's defending our country. He's, he's supporting our family. Like, how could I, how, how, why do I have the right to be angry with him? But, um, that, 
that was what that's what I want to help other mothers or other wives to understand is that you know it's okay to be angry and it's okay and it's okay to speak up and I was afraid to I was afraid to do that so well, you talk about the resentments earlier. Was the moving by yourself and having kids and doing everything by yourself was that number one on the resentment list? I'm sure there's many other. Oh, absolutely. That every time we had a move, he was deployed or gone, and so the Navy would move us, but it was it was stressful, you know, especially moving from overseas. You know, um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it was we were in Italy during the 9/11 conflict, and I remember he was gone. He was in, um, I believe, uh, I don't know, another country, and I was there. And I remember being on base for the after-school activities, and the military came over the loudspeaker, and they said, "You are an American, and you are a target. Uh, the United States is under attack. You need to get to your home port." And like. Literally, I'm like, oh, my God, what do you mean? I'm American. I'm a target. And so the base police is rushing us home. And um, we got back to the base. They had bomb dogs, um, mirrors under our cars. And they were like, you need to get on base. You can't come off. And I didn't hear from my husband for like maybe two weeks after that happened. And uh, because he was on lockdown and he went into full uh, activation mode. They they activated them somewhere, and I didn't hear from him. So I was mad at him. I'm like, this is a time the world feels like it's coming to an end. You could at least try and call me, but he didn't. And some of the other wives heard from their husbands, and I I carried so much resentment during that time. I was I was just a big angry elf that during that period. I, I understand it. To be honest with you, I I really do understand. And we don't get to hear this side of the story very often. So thanks again for, for telling it. I've, I've got to yeah. ask this question. And I kind of remember my mother telling me stories about when they got stationed overseas. And they were talked to about this is how you behave off base. Because even <laughs> traffic accident or something like that, you got arrested. It was a big deal. It was a big problem. I have a sister who's actually a couple sisters whose spouses were in the military and they had the same talk. So did you get the talk when you got transferred over to, to Italy? Oh, oh yes. They, they actually do uh, an end doc. And that's, uh, again, another part of my anger uh, for so long is that this indoc was to indoctrinate you into their culture, what to expect, what you should do. And they were, and they told us when we got there, look, everyone has to go. The, the military member, the spouse, like this is mandatory. You have to go. So we're sitting in indoc and I'm, I'm still a little unsure, but Chris is there with me and I'm, I'm feeling comfortable. And then in the middle of indoc, his command walks in and they were like, Hey, we have, uh, an incident that happened in Northern Italy. We need you to team up. We're going to give you this team and you got to go. And he said, okay, you know, in two weeks when Indoc is over and they were like, no, you're not finishing Indoc. Your wife's going to do it for you. And literally whisk him away. And man, oh, I was, I didn't realize how angry I was. We're talking with Tina Rudiger. She's a spouse of a career Navy veteran, did 20 plus years in Navy, and is also a police officer. And she's a podcaster. Her name is Podcast's Sheepdog Marriage Podcast. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. 
That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. John discovered a cool new app, and he just can't put it down because it has millions of great podcasts, including Law Enforcement Today. So now you can listen anytime, anywhere, and also chat with John. It's called Podopolo. It's free on either app store, so join John there. Follow Law Enforcement Today and DM John when you do. That's Podopolo. Download it now. The Law Enforcement Today Show returning to our conversation with Tina Rudiger. Tina is a unique guest on the Law Enforcement Today Show. She's the spouse of a career Navy veteran. That means 20 plus years in the Navy, EOD, deployed constantly combat zones. After retiring from the Navy, he became a police officer. When she thought things would be easier and better, well, we'll let her tell you about that part. She's also a podcaster. Her podcast is a Sheepdog Marriage Podcast. Before we went to break, Tina, you were talking about this indoctrination and when you got deployed to Italy. And part of what my mother told me is back in the day, they'd say, look, don't even get in a traffic accident off base. If you hit someone and kill someone, you're on your own. There's not a whole lot we can do for you. And back then, if you were American and you were imprisoned in the Spanish jails, it was up to the family to come feed you. Uh, They didn't feed you. You were on your own, literally. And so you're in the middle of indoctrination and he gets whisked away and you said the resentment, that's like number two. Mm, Yes, very much so. I I literally had to uh, navigate on my own and I was, and I I didn't go off of base a lot. I stayed on base because I, I, I was intimidated by being out in town and being an American and all the stories, like you said, if you're in a car accident. Because, you know, we had the uh, license plate that says Armed Forces International is AFI. And so we were like, uh, you, could, you could tell who the Americans were. So if there was ever an accident out in town, everyone always told me, if you're in an accident, they're going to automatically blame it on the American. So that scared me and intimidated me. So I just, I stayed on base a lot. And I don't blame you. Uh, here, here's something else I, I'm sure you're going to get. I, I hear people talk all the time about the talk between parents and their children involving American police. And I think to myself, I got the talk when I was 15, 14 about <laughs> yeah. Navy police uh, about how you behave on base. And I was a long-haired hippie freak. I had a great big bush. And I was like, I'm going to do what I want. I'll be an individual. Like, (laughs) yeah, you can do all that off base. But on base, it's a different story. Oh, yeah, definitely. It it was um, when we were stationed in Italy, um, we were, I think there was only maybe 3,000 Americans on base. And um, we, you know, when when there was an issue between two Americans on base, everyone in the entire on base knew it. Like you knew if there was a restraining order or uh, they couldn't come near each other. It was impossible being on base, but um, we pretty much knew what was going on because uh, and and the military police made their presence there. But we also had the Carabinieri on base as well. So it was a little of both. Now, here's the, 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 the difficult question. If you can't talk about certain things, that's quite all right. I understand. Your husband was EOD. And I, if I get this wrong, please forgive me. That's a explosives ordinance demolition or disposal. So he, disposal, was, yeah. he was sent to combat zones quite a bit. How did you deal yeah. with it, him saying, okay, I go to Iraq, I have to go to Afghanistan or Somalia or all these other hot spots where you know people are being killed and you know he's going to be right in the the mouth of the lion, so to speak? 
Yes, it was very difficult. And I look back at it now and realize where uh, a lot of my anger came from. Um, and uh, it, it was difficult because sometimes he couldn't even tell me where he was going. He would be gone for months at a time. And, and you know, sometimes he would come home and, he'll be, and he would say, or he would call me and say, um, hey, I can only talk for just a minute, but if you look on, you know, online or, or look in the news, the, the, you know, an article may be on the front page. And I'm like, there's a ton of articles. Like, so I would literally, it, the computers first started coming out. I think it was around 2000, maybe 2001. I would get on the small computer that we had and just look up articles that I thought could be him and, and I would, uh, you know, not knowing all the time was so hard. We actually had a friend. Uh, she was one of my best friends, and her husband was also EOD, and he was killed by a roadside in uh, in, in Afghanistan and uh, or Iraq. I'm sorry. Um, and I actually was with her the entire time as the Navy sending his connect box back full of all of his belongings, and I'm helping her go through all this and and work through her emotions when my emotions were on high alert because my husband's over in the same place and. Um, you know, I'm trying to deal with my own emotions and help her deal with hers, and I'm totally disconnected from my husband. I actually didn't even feel like I knew I knew who he was because I only got to talk to him every couple of months. So there was just so much stress and anxiety back then for so many reasons, and not and the not knowing was very very difficult. You know, it's unusual, and maybe it's not. Uh, and we'll talk about the police part of it in a moment. Is when I interviewed your husband, Chris, and that was a few weeks ago, you can check it out. Just go to com and look for past episodes. You'll find it. He didn't talk about all these things. He was the mm-hmm. one who's being deployed to all these combat zones, and he's like, yeah, not a big deal. Oh, yeah, it was kind of life-changing. Uh, let's move on to point B, whatever it might be. You're going much further in depth. And one of the things that he talked about is that there was an incident where they, they struck an an IED uh, and came under attack and maybe dealing with the the, the after effects of TBI. But when it was going on, he didn't think it was a big deal. It's like, okay, we got to do this, this, and this. Were you aware of this or how long after did you become aware that he was in an explosion? Yeah, I was not aware of it at all. In fact, when he got home from that six-month deployment, it had happened in the very beginning of his six-month deployment. So I went the whole time not knowing. So when he got home, we had the sit-down talk, and um, it it literally was like a gut punch. And I, I, I didn't know if I should be angry with him for not telling me or uh, be happy that he was home. But he said the night that he was hit, he called me when he got home, and he said, I just sat there and listened to your voice. And, I, and, and he said... I, your voice sounded so happy and it was soothing to my soul. And I just listened. He said, but I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to worry you because there was a lot of death within the community going on at the time. And I knew the wife, so he didn't want to stress me out. And honestly, that, 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 that was really difficult for me because I, I feel like I needed to know, like making me wait uh, and telling me later, I just felt so I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. And and like you said, when he talked to you, I listened to the interview as well. Um, he's very 
uh, superficial, nonchalant about it. And that's one of the things that I really encourage him to do sometimes is to talk about these things. You know, these, these things that happened to us, these things that we've been through are real. And that's where the healing part comes with us doing our marriage ministry is it, it forces him to talk about it and it, and it allows me to process some of the, the anger and the resentment that I had for so long. I'm a big proponent of talking about things, but as long as it's involving other people. Uh, when you push me hard <laughs> to talk about certain incidents from my police career, it, it depends, quite honestly, it depends on who you are. I'm far more open to, about it now than I, than I was many years ago. But one of the things you said earlier that really resonated with me is he didn't want you to worry. And I I didn't tell my wife at the time a lot of things were happening because she was already worried enough. Uh, my mother was already worried enough. My sisters were worried enough. And I, I felt there was my duty, my obligation to shield her from that as much as possible. And to be honest with you, I want people to think, hey, you can sleep easy at night because nothing bad is going to happen. I don't want you to know about the dangers and that sometimes those dangers are right down the street from you. Right, right. And and I totally get that. And I, I definitely see your side. And I see how, you know, hit Chris's side on not telling me. Uh, but, you know, it, it's kind of, there's got to be a fine line there. Because I, I want to know what I'm dealing with. I, I, I just... I'm the type of person that just needs to know. You know, I need to need to make sure everything's okay for me, for the kids, for him. And not knowing was like uh, was a gut punch. But the the thankful part is he came home safe. Unlike some of my other friends, they didn't. Their husbands right. didn't come home. And uh, when he did come home, though, um, some of the things that were difficult is the very first night he was home. Um, our sons were not big, but. Um, Let me cut you off. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Tina Rudiger. We're turn. We're going to talk about what happened the first night he was home, and then how he began to transition into law enforcement, how that affected them, and much more. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign up area. That's letradioshow.com. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Return to our conversation with Tina Rudiger. Tina is a very unique story we don't get to hear very often. Her story's not unique, but the fact that we don't hear about it, that's what makes it special. She's the spouse of a career Navy veteran. He did 20 years plus in the U.S. Navy, EOD, multiple combat deployments, and then became a police officer. Before we went to break, Tina, you're talking about an incident when he came home and I had to cut you off because we had to go to a commercial break. Please let us know what happened. 
Yeah, so when he came home, um, I didn't even think about it, but our one of our sons was playing Call of Duty. And they're not normally big gamers, but he just happened to be playing that game that night. And I remember Chris came through the living room, and he he caught his eye caught the TV of what he was our son was doing, and he literally froze and he started yelling at my son. He was like, "What are you doing? You didn't even check that building before you walked in. Like you don't walk into a building like that." And he just started uh, just really laying into our son. And I looked at him. I was like, "Babe, it's just a game." And he's like, "It's maybe just a game, but that's real life. That happens, you know." And I, uh, it just kind of took me back. I was like, "Wow, I, I actually felt like I." We should have not been, my son shouldn't have been playing that game that night. Um, and I didn't even think about how difficult it was for him to see it. So that, that was, that was a, a very big moment, kind of an eye opening moment for me when he got home, uh, from that Iraq deployment. And yeah, I could understand both points of view on that one because, hey, it's just a game. And it's just a kid playing a game. And if we ask Chris about it right now, he'd probably say that was one of the worst moments of his life. Uh, and I, I could understand. <laughs> I want to fast forward. So he, he finishes his career in the Navy. And then somewhere along the line, you two get the idea, hey, wouldn't it be great to be a police officer? And he becomes a police officer in South Florida. Uh, and has been doing that a long time. One of the things you said early in the conversation, you thought being a military spouse was tough and that this would be easy. Has it been easy for you? No, not at all. It was a major misconception on my part. Um, I want, I wanted him to be able to continue being in uniform because I knew he has an innate sense of, uh, responsibility and like the sheepdog spirit to, to help others. And so I could tell as soon as he put that police uniform back on, that look, the happiness look, the contentment came back on his face because that's what he does. So I was like, okay, you know, he's going to be home now, He's but he's going to be able to do what he's doing, but he's not going to deploy. Um, but that, that very quickly became evident that um, being involved in the community, and he went into community relations, um, seeing the worst um, people in the worst days of their life and trying to help them, it, it became... Uh, you know, all he did, that the community came first and my place on the back burner again. Um, and, and I, I felt guilty for being angry. I was like, you know, the community does need to come first. You know, there's, there's crime, there's, there's people hurting, there's, you know, he needs to be there. That's what he's doing. And, um, it, I didn't realize, um, it was actually just adding on top of the pile of the resentment that I had all these years. How about the, the, the trauma that he experienced and the danger? Did that play into your mindset at all, your worries, your fears? Absolutely. I was, I was a wreck when he first, when he first started in with the police department. Um, um, we have Facebook at this point and, and social media, and I'm constantly cruising, like when he's on duty, you know, because I know sometimes they'll post things that are happening uh, in town, and, and I wonder if he's, you know, he's um, there, and I, I see, uh, you know, I see things ha- or I hear sirens and think, oh my gosh, is that him? You know, and um, it definitely played into my, my fears, and it, it actually... In a, in a weird way, I think it, it was uh, more difficult being a police wife than a military wife because I was right there in the midst of the community that he was in, and I knew and saw the things that were going on. 
one of the things I've heard before is the big difference is that when you are in the combat zone, eventually you come home stateside and it's welcome home. It's a different environment. With policing, mm-hmm. it's all, quite often you live where you work or very, very close to it and you see it all the time. And there's no real escape. We were told we we're on duty 24 hours a day. Uh, was that the case for you all? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I feel like, like you said, you did. You came home and you kind of shut down. And not that he shut down, but he never completely was pre- is present because he's so, um, because it's who he is. It's what he does. I actually, um, one of the things that when he was in Iraq uh, and in the military, they would have ready rooms where they would go in, they would put their gear on, they would just kind of get in the right mindset. And Everywhere we've lived here, uh, I've actually made him a ready room. It's got his all of his police gear, his uh, you know his um, uh, safe with his guns, you know. And I, I, he loves to go in there and get ready. And one of the things that I've learned, um, uh, being a, a police wife, is that when he comes home and he walks through that door, he goes into that ready room to undress and to uh, you know uh, just get rid of the day and I actually don't approach him right away I allow him that downtime that to to kind of uh, come down and kind of be present with me and once he's he's ready he'll walk into the kitchen or wherever I am but I really try really hard to give him that space to download from the day because he only lives he only works five minutes from where we live so not a lot of time. One of the things you've said a couple times in the interview is, is your marriage almost ended. And that's quite common, not just with our police and our firefighters, EMTs, other first responders, but our military as well. There's unique demands. And you've talked about a lot of those. How bad did things get for you two? Oh, they, they were horrible. Uh, I, I moved out and uh, I was preparing to go back home to Georgia and um, I remember it was so bad. Like, I thought he hated me. Um, I I thought I wasn't sure if I hated him, but he just wasn't the man I've been married to. And I remember one night I was on the racquetball court and I was by myself and I was sitting there just crying. I was thinking, my God, I've been through years of deployment and, and taking care of the home front. And, and we've come into this new career and, and I've tried to be supportive and um, nothing. We had so much uh, water under the bridge. We had so much um, the resentment and things over the years that it just exploded at some point because we never addressed those issues. We just allowed it to build up. So it, it exploded. And for us, it was a good thing because we had to be brought to that point in order to be to uh, to have change and to have um, clarity and um, to work through all of these years and years of issues. Um, and even though he's still a police officer, we, we still have the issues. He's still who he is. I can't change that. And I've learned to respect that and to honor and allow him to be who he is. But now the difference is we have the tools, the communication tools, the things that we learned through Married for a Purpose to um, to live into our vision and to understand what our purpose is together and work together in unity instead of working against each other. I'm glad you mentioned marriage, Married with a Purpose. Uh, this is where your podcast and your mission to help others from your experience comes to fruition. Am I correct? Absolutely. We were, um, I think Chris mentioned, we were in counseling for years through the Navy Family Service Center, and we would go and we would talk about the problem and we would rub each other's nose in it, and then we would leave in an argument. He would speed off one way, I would speed off the other, 
And when we when we were introduced to Mary for a purpose, they're very purpose focused. So it's a it's a two day, uh, two or three day reboot session, and basically they just um, help you to look at where you were, like when we first married, where you are now, and where you want to be. And it and you literally create a purpose statement for your marriage. You create a vision, and it and it really we walked out of there like a wet dish rag. We were like, wow, we should have did this a long time ago. And uh, it was very helpful in helping us get clarity and uh, resolution to a lot of the issues over the years. And like Chris said, we couldn't just just um, work on our marriage. We were like, wow, that that was awesome. Like, we want to be a part of this. We want to be uh, that voice that... Um, that helps the other other law enforcement marriages, other military marriages understand wh- where they were, where they are now, and help them create a plan to move forward. And the name of your podcast is Sheepdog Marriage Podcast. Can they find that online anywhere? Yes. Yeah, so you can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, and also if you go to MarryForAPurpose.com, um, there's a drop-down menu with the military and law enforcement side of Mary for Purpose, and there's also a link to our Sheepdog Marriage Podcast on that page as well. Tina Rudiger, thanks for your service. Thanks for all you do, and thanks so much for meeting you guys on the show. All very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and allowing me to speak on behalf of the military and law enforcement spouses. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.